Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to another episode of CRT Time. I am your host, CRT. It keeps it easy. Just use my name. Let's not get complicated. Easy peasy. Um, I'm so excited to have you back. Um, I've been almost doing this two years and another month or two, and I've just been deciding to do it when it feels right and I can get the person that I really want to do it with me. Uh, Initially, I just started it when I was actually sick in bed because I was bored and I couldn't do anything and the best way to get people on the phone and chat with me I thought I might as well just do it live and share it with my friends so two years into it there seems to be a theme and it's that I bring on creative people to talk about the world they create and how they do it Um, so on today's podcast episode uh, we have with us Emily Heller um, you may know her from her podcast, Baby Geniuses. Um, she had a recent set on Conan, or perhaps you've seen her on the Above Average Network. Um, if you don't know her, well, now is a great time to get to know her. Let's bring her on the air. Hi. How are you? Can you hear me? I sure can. Okay, good. I have my headset on. You sound clear and crisp and professional. Oh, thank you. This is already my favorite podcast of all time because I get to be at home. (laughs) (laughs) It's my preferred way. I really hate uh, technical obstacles. I like to do it the easiest way I can. Um, I have two different sides of me, the perfectionist. You know, I want to make it perfectly clear and crisp sounding, and then I realized I may never get this podcast out, so I need to do it the the, the easiest and cheapest way possible. Do you consider leaving the house a technical obstacle? <laughs> well, people have, I'm not going to say who, but the quality of this podcast is so low because we do it this way <laughs> and because it's live and because it's free. But, um, no, this chair is pretty comfortable. I think it's a knockoff Herman Miller. So, no, it's high class. It's a high class podcast in a very easy way. You wouldn't um, say that if you knew what I was wearing. Um, Well, uh, I really would love if you could take a photo. (laughs) Even if it's just the fabric, like you don't have to do like a full body shot for me. Um, (laughs) You could even lay it out on the floor when you do eventually get dressed or maybe like um, like for the, the evening dressed. I'm serious. Like I've had people take photos of where they've been calling me from. I had um, Alana Glazer. She was in some random room, and I was like, you need to take a photo of this room for me. I want to feel like the listeners are there with you. So no How pressure. How describe it? Okay. I am trying on a bathing suit that I got at Ross. Yes. And I went to Ross, and I was like, what is the ugliest bathing suit they have? And they have some really ugly ones. And I got I didn't even try it on. I got the ugliest bathing suit they had. And I am kind of amazed at how perfectly it fits me. This is the first time I've tried it on. Um, Excellent approach. Yeah. It's one of those ones with, like, a skirt. Yes. Yeah. Correct. So, and just, like, the biggest, ugliest flowers on it of all time. I'm not going to take a picture of it because it's a bathing suit and that. I was going to get floral. I was going to get floral. Yes, it is a floral. Good. Excellent choice. 
um, is it neon florals? Is it kind of pastel? Oh, my God. It's like the ugliest orange and the ugliest pink, but on a black background. Well, if we were kind of coming from the peacock mentality, you're definitely the the brightest gal on the beach attracting the most yeah. attention. I mean, this is a bathing suit that should not be sold to women under the age of 60. Um <laughs> Uh, but I am going for it. <laughs> well, I like a lot of things about what you're saying. One, I like that you go to Ross. Me too. Um, I love that you like to wear um, older ladies' bathing suits. Me, me too as well, or three. Um, oh, yeah. And I like that you're wearing it right now. That that makes me happy. Well, yeah. I, well, I've been, I'm unpacking a suitcase, and it was in there. And so I just, you know, I get really distracted when I unpack. I just start getting really involved in every single item that I'm taking out. And I was like, oh, I never tried this on, did I? Um, I also think that we should start taking more cues from people who are 60 and over because I feel like at that point in your life, you kind of give up on anything that's not important. You know what I mean? Like they figured out what's the most comfortable thing to wear and that's what they wear. They figured out what the most flattering thing to wear for a horrible body is and that's what they wear <laughs> or they just don't care about flattering their body at all but i have to say this is a pretty flattering bathing suit and that it covers up so much of my body <laughs> <laughs> fabric fabric and yeah. ruffles and skirts yeah yeah skirts and yeah i basically have to do no no hair maintenance for this bathing suit which is really nice <laughs> Excellent. If only it had armpit flaps. Like the only thing. <laughs> you need a little cape. You need a little yeah. additional oh. cape. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, that would be great. Wow. I think we're developing a new yeah. line of swimsuits. Yeah. Well, I've always said that I would like to make the world's first three-piece bathing suit, which is just a normal one-piece bikini, but then also a vest and a cape on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been exploring the tankinis recently. Oh and yeah. Depending Classic. on the shape of them, they either pull that pull that pull the the, the lovely mound uh, belly in or yeah. showcase it in a round pushing yeah. pushing it out. It'll just ride right up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it doesn't um, cover the right part of your body. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? I feel like yeah. It, it the gap between the bottoms and the top is like the only area that I really want a bathing suit to cover. <laughs> I hear I just bought an American flag one, so ooh, that's always a good choice. Just uh, just to really bring it the summer, yeah, you know, just uh, American flag tankini. Oh <laughs> uh, well, where did you just get back from your unpacking, or where did you get back from a month ago? Um, I don't know how you unpack. Yeah, I I mean, it's taken me a little bit longer than it should have. I got back on Sunday. I was on kind of like a mini tour. I did a festival. I did the Bridgetown Comedy Festival in Portland. Mm-hmm. And then I did the Moon Tower Comedy Festival in Austin. And then I did um, a week of shows at the Punchline in San Francisco featuring for Tommy Donegan. Um, so I was gone and, you know, I was on a tour of like the coolest cities, um, <laughs> in the Southwest and the West. And, and SF is where you, I mean, San Francisco, excuse me, yeah. um, is where you were from previously before New York? 
Yeah, that's my, the punchline is my home club. I'm from the East Bay originally, but I started doing stand-up while living in San Francisco. At what point did you, uh, and I'm talking like younger years, did you realize performance was something that you were drawn towards? Huh. Well, I, you know, I used to do theater a lot when I was younger because my sister did it and I just did everything that she wanted to do. And my whole family, it was always a big part of our lives. Like when I was five, my entire family, me, my brother, my sister, my mom, and my dad were in a community theater production of The Music Man. Yeah. Um, and so it's I, it's hard to even really pinpoint when it started. Um, sorry, hold on. I just pulled my headphones out. Um, but, yeah, it's just kind of been in my life. I, I didn't start doing comedy until kind of the very end of college. When did that revelation come? How did it hit you? Um, I, don't, I don't know if I would even call it a revelation. I think some people get on stage for the first time and they're like, oh, my God, this is what I'm going to do. But for me, it was kind of, I took a class. They offered a class at my university, and I kind of took it thinking that it would help me with my Maid of Honor speech at my sister's wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I ended up doing really well in the class, and so me and some friends who took the class with me started doing open mics from it. Um, like we would go drive up to San Francisco from from Santa Cruz and and do open mics, and um, it kind of it was the kind of thing where when I started doing it, I wasn't taking it seriously as my career, and then because it's it's such a it's such a path that I I would just when I was thinking about it, I was like, I would feel so lucky if I could do that, but I wouldn't I wouldn't assume that I could, you know. Like, I, mm-hmm. I knew that it's something that a ton of people wanted to do and not that many people have a shot at, but then I was eventually doing it for long enough and I felt like I got good enough that I was like, oh, okay, I can admit to myself that this is what I want to do. So, um, you know, it's been more gradual for me than I think it is for most people. Well, at what point, like, I mean, after college, did you just, like, what were you doing in parallel, like, either creatively or work-wise? Like, what were you doing? Well, um, so when I graduated from college, I moved to San Francisco. And before I had graduated, I had been performing with a sketch troupe that that I joined right after taking the the stand-up class. And, I mean, I think taking the class was the first time where I was like, okay, I'm funny. Like, I always kind of knew that I was, but I never really took myself seriously about it. Um, And then I started performing with the sketch troupe, and one of the other girls in the troupe had moved to San Francisco, and she was like, you should move here, and we should start another group here. And so I moved to San Francisco thinking that's what we would do, and at the same time, I was doing stand-up. And I moved to San Francisco. We started a group. I was also doing stand-up, and I also at the same time got a job at a comedy company doing editorial work where I was watching a lot of stand-up. And uh, that, I was just really immersed. I had pretty much nothing else going on in my life except for comedy at the time. And so when that happens, it's not like I even really had any other options. Um, And the sketch shoot didn't last that long, I think, because it's a lot harder to maintain that stuff out of college when you don't have, you know, a free place to perform and, you know, everyone's on the same schedule when you're in college, basically. So Mm -hmm. it was a little bit more difficult once we got out into the real world to sort of, like, get everyone on the same page with it. Um, And so when that ended, I just sort of, 
the sketch troupe ended, and I broke up with my boyfriend at the same time, and stand-up was kind of the thing I had left in my life, and I just sort of threw myself into it. And that was in spring of 2009. And that's when I really consider that I really started stand-up, because that's when I started taking it really seriously. Well, what did you see, like, what changed for you when you decided to take it seriously? Did you see a cause and effect for that, like, personally or in the outside world? Um, I think, well, what happened was I started, the way stand-up works is you kind of have to just get up on stage as often as you possibly can. And if you are only performing, you know, once every other week, you're really treading water. And so what started happening was I started trying to perform every night an open mic or a show or whatever I could get, and I just got so much better, so much faster than I ever had before. And I started really feeling the awesome effects of, you know, putting the work in and and seeing the results. And that's when I was like, oh, I am addicted to this. (laughs) Um, What was, was like, the feeling that you had? Like, what what kind of satisfaction do you get from being on stage? Like, personally, I know everyone has different reasons, but, like, what do you, what did you feel that this, why it worked for you? Like, what did um, it give you? Well, I just, I love praise. I love attention. I don't know anyone who doesn't. I guess I've met <laughs> some people who don't, who don't like attention or praise because it makes them uncomfortable, and I do not understand them at all. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I'm the youngest child, as a lot of comedians are. Like, I you know, grew up on a lot of Bay Area positive reinforcement and, you know, especially for someone who isn't getting a ton of uh, other types of attention that women generally get, um, (laughs) it was really addicting to me to just sort of be like, oh, my God, I'm good at this thing and I get applause every day when I do it. Um, So, you know, it's really hard to, it's hard to pinpoint what, I mean, it also helped that it was like it's a thing where I get to be creative and express myself, and I've always liked making people laugh. And, you know, when I think back about, like, when I was younger, like, my best friends were the people with the, with the best laughs that I knew. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's And then, you know, I also, I've always grown up loving comedy. You know, I I watched comedy a lot when I was younger. I went to go see Mitch Hedberg when I was 17, like, I so and then when I was moved to the Bay Area, there were all these comedians there who I had seen come perform at UC Santa Cruz when I was there, who I really admired. And when they started taking notice of my work, it was like, oh my God, that was an amazing feeling. That you know, that someone whose work I admired had even like knew that I existed was just amazing to me. Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Who were some of the people that you grew up with and looked up to who are comedians? Um, Well, when I started in the Bay Area, you know, Alex Cole was one of the first comedians who I had seen perform and then met as an open micer when I was an open micer. And, you know, and he was also one of the most encouraging people to me to keep doing it and to take myself seriously as a comedian. He was the first person who told me that I needed to eventually leave the Bay Area. Um, uh, So he was one of the people, um, Ali Wong, Brent Weinbach, Moshe Kasher, Kevin Avery, they were all performing in the Bay Area right when I started, and then they all left um, to go to either New York or L.A., um, and so it was kind of, it was always inspiring to watch them, you know, because they were performing at a professional level in the Bay Area, which is kind of hard to find. 
Well, so in terms of your transition then, what uh, tell me about your transition from SF to New York. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know how interesting this is. I when I I basically, you know, there's you can't stay in San Francisco for that long. There's some comedy work and there's some opportunities, but uh it's a lot harder to get exposure out there, um and I kind of just wanted to get a lot better. So, when I decided to move it was, you know, it's always either New York or L.A., and my sister lives here in New York, and she, you know, had a guest room for me. <laughs> so that was a big, it had a big impact on my decision to move here. And so I I had visited a bunch because my sister had lived here for a long time, and I had done stand-up here a bunch, so I knew some people. And, you know, I basically, I moved to New York um, in August of 2011, Um and called in every favor I had <laughs> right when I got here to try and get on some shows, and you know that helped tremendously. And then just the amount of exposure and cool stuff happening here just blew me away right away. It was great. I love it. Did you? Well, I love it too. Um, did you feel <laughs> any stylistic? Um, did you have to like adjust any stylistic shifts when you got to New York and feeling it out and like going local, like in, into the scene? Um, yeah, a little bit. I think the biggest the biggest thing is that um, in in the Bay Area, there are people at open mics who are not comedians. You get a real audience there. But in New York, the open mics are mostly comedians. There's not really anyone else there. So it's kind of tricky learning how to try jokes that are that will work with a real audience in front of a not real audience. You know what I mean? Like yeah. to, to stick with your jokes that you know you'll stay will stay in your act instead of just playing to the comedians in the room and doing the inside jokes that you know that they'll like and things like that. But um, I will say New York has. I was really expecting people to be awful when I got here. I don't know if you guys know this, but New York has kind of a reputation for being haven for the worst people on earth. And that, I mean, I will say that that is true on the subway, but not in the comedy scene, which was nice to find out. Um, people were, there's definitely some, there's definitely a few weeks when you get here when people are like, what are you doing here, get out. You definitely feel that a little bit, but then once they realize that you are, you know, serious about it, people are like, okay, fine, you're here. <laughs> Committed to the cause. You're not just going to yeah. come in. And it, and it only takes about two weeks for you to not be the new kid anymore because there's new people coming all the time. Well, um, what are some current uh, projects that people can find you in, like, let's say, in New York? Like, some of your – it seems like you have some live stuff or projects and sketches and stuff like that. Is that true? Because I, I know you both do – are you still doing both the performance and the stand-up? Yeah, well, I, I mostly do, when I perform live, it's almost always just stand-up, um, but that is certainly worth coming to see. I do a show every Thursday at UCB East at 9 o'clock that I co-host with Adam Conover called Fresh Out, and it's a stand-up showcase, and it's really great. We have a ton of really great comics that we've seen, like, at the open mics, and then also big names drop in, too, like, you know, Jim Gaffigan, Todd Berry, David Cross have all done it recently. Um and then I also have a – I used to have a weekly show on Tuesdays that is now going monthly at Union Hall starting in July called The Afterlife with a bunch of other comedians. And then other than that, um, I have my podcast, Baby Geniuses, that I do with the cartoonist Lisa Hanawalt, and that is really fun. 
um, and really stupid and really gross. <laughs> um, and yeah, I do it. And then I have my web series on Above Average. We have some new episodes coming out soon. And yeah, tell me, yeah. tell me about how that one came about. Like, because um, uh, okay, so for anyone who hasn't seen it, the one that she's doing now or that I've seen most recently is called The Future, where she plays a um, tarot reader. So how did how did that come about? How did you develop that? Oh well, so that was kind of an idea that I had been kicking around for a little while because I was trying to think of something that would just be easy to shoot. Honestly, and um, and I I've done some fake tarot readings in my day. Um, and my brother in law, <laughs> yeah. And my brother in law um, has a really close relationship with Broadway Video, and I was talking to him about the idea, not even trying to pitch it. And he was like, "Oh, well, we should just pitch it to them." And so he, you know, he kind of did most of the legwork on that, and they they loved the idea. And so we, you know, a couple months later, we shot them all in one in like a week. <laughs> um, and why and, why was the John Mulaney one taken down? I just went oh, back and looked. Oh, um, it's going to be back up soon. Is it still down? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, it was because we we use, I don't know if I should say this, but um, what's the scoop? You don't have to. I knew there was like something le- going on. It was a legal thing because we used the logo of a candy company that decided oh. that they did not want us to do that. So <laughs> we have to re-edit it with. Um, let me make, let me see if the if the the fixed version is up yet. But yeah, we basically just had to take it down for that reason. It wasn't anything like scandalous. Where you know he didn't want it up or anything. Candy um, scandal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, huge candy scandal. Um, and um, yeah, I guess they haven't put it back up yet. But um, check back. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think uh, there's one with Reggie Watts, and then the, the one with John Mulaney. When it comes back up, I'll, I'll post it on um, SarahTeaTime.com. But yeah, um, so Reggie I think... Watts, there's Carol Penn, and then the ones that are coming out are um, uh, Keenan Thompson, Janine Garofalo, and Yorma Tacconi. Oh, that'll be great. Well, yeah. I want to make sure that I, I plug um, – I mean, of course, she's very easy to find. Everyone knows how to search uh, Emily Heller, but um, her website's emilyheller.tumblr.com, and she is on Twitter as Mr. Emily Heller. And yes. recently, <laughs> I've recently, as in today, I found you on Vine as well. So she's on Vine okay. um, as well. And, okay, so when we first started uh, chatting, I think you were going to L.A. Like, what is – I know that you have something coming up there, and I'll let everyone know about it right now. Um, you're going you're to be at the West Side Comedy uh, Sunday, May 12th. Um, oh, yeah. You can find more about that at westsidecomedy.com. But uh, what's happening out in L.A. right now? Like, what's up? Oh, well, I'm just making a quick trip for – I mean, nothing that I can even really talk about, nothing that exciting. I'm just making a quick trip out for – a meeting as sometimes people sometimes do and I really hate myself for even saying that out loud right now. <laughs> um but yeah, it was just like a quick sort of last minute trip that came up. So I just am booking some shows around it. So stay tuned. I'm doing one at the Lyric Hyperion Theater on Friday at ten o'clock in LA and then the West Side Comedy Theater at nine on Sunday and then I'll probably be adding some more to my schedule so she's looking at my calendar. Excellent. If you live in LA and wanna see me perform. <laughs> and yeah, I'll be back out there again soon, I'm sure. Yeah, and of course she's um she's she's performing a lot out in New York City. So yeah, almost every day of the week. <laughs> you're a little, you're a hustler. Yeah, I'm trying. I almost said little, but that's the meaning, so I'm that <laughs> word in front of it. Um so um we have about six minutes left and uh uh uh, uh let's 
I don't know. I wonder if we can squeeze this in, but do you want to talk a little bit about your Conan prep, like prepping for your your um what is it, eight minutes, five minutes or something on Conan? Five minutes. Yeah, we can talk about whatever you want. We can talk about Conan, we can talk about shows I haven't been on, caught <laughs> up on scandal. Do you wanna just list all the shows you wanna be oh not that those people who are producing those shows are watching this. So yeah, let's talk about your Conan prep, like your personal yeah. what advice people gave you or what you tried to do. Um Oh, man. I, don't, uh, I can't even remember much of the advice that people gave me. You know, I tried to talk to people who had done it, and people just said, you know, don't rush through your set. Um, you know, make sure you have people there in the green room to support you, which I did. My parents flew down from the Bay Area for it. Um, and... Uh, you know, it was it was just it, there's it's hard to know how to prepare for something like that because you know I, I do warm up for totally biased on FX so that gave me some experience of just at the very least walking out onto a TV set with a microphone so at least that part of it didn't scare me as much as I thought it would but then the day of I was so nervous and when I walked out I just had no control over my face at all. Um, <laughs> And until I started talking and then everything was fine. But um, it was just a matter of, you know, every every comedian is different. So some people some people would run their set over and over and over again. And some people would say, you know what, stop running your set at a certain point so that when you do it, you're fresh with it. So really what I did was I was even changing it up until a few weeks beforehand what I was going to do on the show. Like I, I substituted in a joke that was, shorter and I thought better for the show that I had written very recently um, and um, I just ran it enough time so that I knew what I was comfortable with and you know I messed up a couple times when I was practicing it and so that knew that let me know which jokes to be really careful not to mess up when I did it all, when I did it on the show and you know other than that it was just sort of getting through it with a smile on my face was the hardest thing but it it was really gratifying because when it was over, oh, I was so relieved. I think my favorite part is when he walks up to you and does the handshake and you make that little face. That is so cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish I could say that that was totally spontaneous, but I had kind of thought about, like, what am I going to do when he comes to shake my hand? And, <laughs> um, you know, because it's, it's really hard to know, like, what the right – I didn't want to act like I was, like, totally cool and, like, it wasn't a big deal to me because it clearly was. I love Conan so much, and he is such a hero of mine. Um, so I wanted to show that. Um, and so I was like, I'm just going to make a crazy face when he comes out. <laughs> and then, you know, it it was a pretty memorable moment. And they took a picture of it and posted it on the website of just that part, which was great. Um, I don't know if you saw Mark Norman was on Conan recently. Yeah, he did it a few weeks before me. And when Conan came out to shake his hand, he grabbed Conan's tie and, like, no. wiped his own sweat from no. his forehead. Oh, and it was God. one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Oh, I need to go watch that right now. Mm-hmm. It was great. I recommend it to anyone. Well, I think we already covered. Are there, is there any other upcoming things that you want to let people know about? I feel like we may have covered it, but um, yeah, I guess that's it. Um, if you, you uh, if you live in New York, you should try and come to a taping of Totally Biased. Um, it tapes every Thursdays, every Thursday, and we have um six or seven more episodes of this cycle. We're starting up again after a hiatus uh, this week, and I do warm up for that. So 
you can see me do crowd work before an amazing TV show. Excellent. Um, well, yeah. um, Emily, thank you for joining me. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. I'm glad we yeah. were able to do this finally. <laughs> I know, I know. First of all, I just uh, I appreciate your genuine nature, your follow through, because like before, you know, I. I I you know I I email this anyone I can think of that I respect and admire and I always I just appreciate people who just kind of just are genuine and follow through and are honest and and um you've been great you've been great I've been lying to you this entire time <laughs> <laughs> um but okay so. So everyone should go check out emilyheller.tumblr.com. Uh, of course, always follow her on Twitter at Mr. Emily Heller. Thank you so much for joining me, Emily. Thank you for having me. I had a yeah. lot of fun. Thanks. So I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. Okay, bye. All right, everybody, that was Emily. Isn't she great? Um, uh, we, uh, you can find the archive of this um, up on sarahtetime.com. Of course, um, you can check out our other past guests on there too. If you have a suggestion, you can always email me at sarahtetime.com or just uh, mention me on Twitter at sarahtetea, and you can uh, find me over there. Uh, thanks, guys, for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. The weekly podcast every Wednesday. Sarah Teton.